In this concluding segment of our horror movie discussion, we talk about some honorable mentions from our lists, different techniques the horror movie filmmakers use, and what draws us to the horror and the scares. Enjoy. Remember, you can join the Boston Screenwriters Group on meetup.com and RSVP for a Screenwriters Virtual Forum, peer-reviewing scripts, giving feedback on fellow writers' work while networking with them as well. Please check out the links on our Anchor.fm profile to follow us online, donate, or leave us a nice message to let us know how we're doing. We hope to see you at one of these virtual forums. Until then, enjoy the podcast. So another movie from my list, bringing it back stateside. Um, I think we talked about this before uh, on a previous show. But um, Jordan Peele's Us, you know, and a lot of folks aren't, didn't feel it when it came out. A lot of folks sometimes even wondered if this is horror. I mean, I think it is. Um, for me, that movie, there is social commentary there that a lot of folks don't pick up on. There's a lot of Easter eggs in that movie. Um, I know when I was in the theater itself, I was seeing various things uh, on the screen. I felt like I should have a a pad of paper in my hand to write down a few things and jot some stuff down. I, I didn't though. I wish I had those things. Um, first thing I did when I left the theater, I, I left, I stepped out of the theater, pulled out my phone, turned it on and looked up what um, the scripture Jeremiah 11, 11 was about because that was featured on one of the placards that one of the characters holds up in that movie. Um, and I, from that moment on, I was constantly over the next couple of days, like putting together pieces that I'd seen in that movie to, to, to create a, 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 a picture of what was trying to tell me, I, I think. Um, if you recall the trailer for that movie, the first trailer for that had Rorschach, not Rorschach, it had, had Inkblot, in, in, um, Rorschach test. Uh, um, and I, I think a lot of folks forgot that there was Rorschach or, or Inkblot kind of um, tests kind of shown in the background of what was happening on uh, the trailer. Because I think in, in, in Peel's mind, this movie, because of the Easter eggs and because of some of the symbolism, can mean different things to different people. Um, and it's all in what you, you, you kind of make it to be. And as much as I love that movie, I, every time I see it, I just wish he had a different way, you know, in terms of exposition, or at least um, um, introduction, I, I think of, the doppelganger family. Um, if you recall that scene where they're standing out in front of uh, the house and they're in the shadows, you don't know who they are yet, but it becomes apparent that they are the doppelgangers of the family that lives in the house. What frustrates me about that scene when they come into the home is that there's, you know, Red, the, the, the main, I guess, villain, if you will, um, who's got this exposition going on and the other characters are standing there kind of looking menacing. It's like, wait a second. In no other place in this movie are folks just standing around looking menacing. They're hell bent on killing their doubles. So why in this case, it's far too convenient to have them standing around. It's almost as if I wish, you know, during that scene of them trying to break into the house, they end up finding, you know, their um, counterparts and chasing them or, or being involved in what happens after the exposition from Red. If that, that chase scene or scenes occur while she's having exposition with um, Adelaide, I think is the name of the, the character. If they're having that conversation while this, these chases are going on, it changes the pace of the movie and also makes them a lot more menacing. So um, 
anyway, I've gone on too long about that, but this is my little gripe about that scene in the movie. Other than that, I think it's just a fantastic movie that it has um, um, some hidden uh, messages that if you're not listening to the dog whistles, you're not gonna be able to pick up on some of the things he's trying to say. Well, I, just to talk about us, I, I'll, I'll just tell you right up, I didn't like it. And, um, and I think I had so much expectation after Get Out that I, you know, I love the interesting way of Get Out was just amazing. And so I did have high expectations. Now this, I think us didn't make it for me because again of the storytelling. And I think you had, you know, sort of zeroed in on possibly why some of the scenes didn't work. And that's where there's a fine line between messaging and storytelling. And in that case, okay, if the message was cool, the doppelgamer and all that, I mean, it, it, it follows. I think that's what the, now that scared, that scared me. We didn't even talk about that one. That, that was real scary. I think that storytelling was amazing. And it did scare me, by the way, it follows. But, but with us just talking about responding to yours, and I know Kenyatta has uh, some comments to make, but it just didn't work for me. It didn't work for me at all. I loved all the actors. The acting was amazing, but the the story itself and the movie it just didn't work for me. I'll end it there. Well, a lot, a lot of a lot of people didn't like it. You know, a lot of people didn't like Hereditary. So I I, I just noticed that you know nowadays films that I, I do like a lot of people don't like them, but yeah, I don't care. I like it anyway. <laughs> you know, us. Um, if you haven't seen it, you gotta be careful, Mike. Don't take things up because it takes multiple viewings, especially when you first see it. When you first see it, you don't know what to expect. You really don't know. I mean, even when you watch the previews, you, you don't know what to expect. You don't know what's going on. And I, I, the first time I'm, I saw it, I took for granted like certain things I didn't think was important. That later on turned out that it was so i watched it like two or three times you know basically in a short i saw it twice in the movie theater i really see films twice in the movie theater and me and my wife said no some we have to go back because you look on youtube you have all these theories i'm like man i missed that i missed so so you want to go back to see what else you missed you know what right. i'm saying so, um, so that's what that's that's why I say if you've seen it for the first time, this the smallest thing may not seem important, but hey, it means more than what you think it is than what it means. When I watched it initially, you know, I left feeling well. First of all, there were a number of questions I wanted answered, and I was trying to figure out how to you know, kind of pull some of these pieces together. At the same time, I was like, mm, you know, I like Get Out a lot, a lot more than this movie. I thought that when I initially left the theater. And then it's almost like days later, it was totally like flip-flop. Like, yes, I love Get Out, but Us is above it because of um, the pieces I was putting together, right? Because of the things, the, the, the Easter eggs that were there, they kind of provided, you know, gifts long after I finished watching that movie. I could still, again, start putting things together. And then I started thinking about the social commentary. If you look at, you know, um, the people under the, you know, the, the, the tethers, if you will, as being, you know, uh, some kind of a metaphor for um, the underclass and the fears of those who are, you know, uh, well-to-do. 
um, of the underclass kind of taking over or you know recognizing that we're in a situation where we've got the greatest um, disparity in terms of you know um, income or wealth with the greatest kind of uh, uh, income inequality um, in human history as, as, as the Jenny coefficient says, the, the measurement for that. Um, and there's this fear, I'm sure, amongst those who are doing extremely well that one day there'll be a reckoning. And I think that this movie kind of brings that to the forefront. Like here's, this is, this is um, in one way, the, the, the telling of the, the, the pending kind of reckoning of the folks on the bottom finally getting theirs and, they're, and, and taking out those on top to do it. Yeah, I think it's just uh, worth uh, get out. I, I'm sorry, I missed some of what uh, Kenyatta. I just take a little uh, uh, break there, but um, I think that uh, us is a, a little bit more broad in terms of uh, what the experience uh, uh, the, it's trying to convey, the story that it's trying to get across. Like Get Out was very pointed. It's about race relations. It's about uh, uh, microaggressions and uh, singling out uh, because of your race, uh, but us is a little bit more, um, yeah, esoteric with how it's 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 going about its thing. Like um, <clears throat> there isn't, I don't think there's a one-to-one -one sort of thing. I mean, you you can take it as a, a huge uh, uh, class uh, uh, class strife, social stratification sort of metaphor, but it's not a one-to-one -one thing. It's there's uh, there's more things going on with with there. So yeah, uh, I like I like both us and Get Out. I think the I think uh, Mr. Peel is going to be as a talent to watch, and uh, I'm always I'm always going to be up for whatever he's up for next. And another film that I would like to put out there is called The Fly. It's a remake of an old. I forgot the original what what year it came out, but it's came out back in the day, and this. The Fly, the remake came out and the, I think, 86, David Cronenberg and Jeff Goldblum played the main character and Gina Davis uh, played uh, uh, opposite him. So I'm not sure if you guys saw that. Absolutely. Yeah. We've yeah. seen it. Yeah. yeah. I've seen it. Yeah. Definitely. Like, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, gore and everything. That is like uh, supreme body horror gore right there. You know, it's Cronenberg, so of course there's going to be some element of uh, unpleasantness in terms of what happens to people's bodies. But uh, that is definitely up there. Uh, in terms and, of, and of course, I'm old school because I remember the original. And the original, <laughs> and the original, I still see the the fly in the the web. And the last scene that just gets to me, help me, help me, help me. Help yes, me. yes. I, that I never forget that. That was so sad. And he, oh gosh, yes. So the original and the one with Jeff Goldblum was excellent. I, I definitely agree. Both flies were really good. Thanks for bringing that up, Kenyatta. Great films. And, and I have to mention this one other film. Now I know it's kind of silly, but at the same time, this. It's just something about this film. I've seen this. This is one of those films I saw over 30 times. The Evil Dead Part 2. Um, also has Part 1. And Part 2 kind of reminds me, it's like, is it really a sequel or is it a remake? You know, and only a couple of years apart. But, I mean, this thing has everything. It has gore. I mean, I'm, when, when we're talking about gore, this really has gore. It has some comedic parts to it. And, and it's like... Um, when you see this film, it's like, man, it kind of makes you wish you were part of the film crew because they had to have had a, a, a party making this film. I'm not sure if any of you guys saw Evil Dead 2, 
Absolutely. And Sam Absolutely. Raimi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's from those Evil Dead movies and what he's able to accomplish. Um, again, kind of shoestring budget with that. They, that gave um, was it Sony, I think it was Sony Pictures, um, the, the idea that he could handle like Spider-Man, right? The Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie. Um, of course, big budget, totally different uh, type of movie, but kind of the creativeness, uh, the inventiveness, especially with regard to movement uh, in the movie, um, how the camera moved in a given scene or how, you know, um, there was something unique about the way Sam Raimi used the camera and used um, movement between characters um, that I don't know how to put my finger on it, but it, it's a, it's a Raimi-esque kind of movement of, 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 of camera and motion and how he's able to manipulate what's on the screen. It's, it's only his kind of uh, way of shooting, like in the same way that, that same way that um, there's a uniqueness to the way that, that, that Kubrick shoots. There's a, a Raimi-esque type of style that only fits Sam Raimi. So you have um, Evil Dead, Evil Dead uh, 1 and 2, Army of Darkness, all the Raimi movies. I mean, he's got his own style there that's, that's unique. Really appreciate that. Yeah. To this very day, to this very day, like I saw some of the documentary, the uh, making of, but it was kind of acting up. It kept buffering, so I didn't get a chance to watch the whole thing. Because I'm dying to see how he filmed the part where the evil um, spirit grabbed um, uh, the main character. Uh, what's his? Oh God! Why am I? Ash. 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 Excuse me. How can I forget his name? So it grabbed up and it drew him. It's like it carried him through the woods. He's in the air. He's high up in the air, and it's like he's flying through the air and the branches are him in the face and so on and so forth and then when he finally stops he drops to the ground that's like i am dying to see how they made that absolutely yeah 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 Raimi brings like the sort of uh shoestring budget uh indie filmmaker to you know whatever production he's on and i think that really translates well uh whether that's a uh, spider-man or uh or uh, or the evil dead you know he brings this sort of interesting sensibility oh oh that was creepy oh wow that was uh, was right in uh, right in tone with uh, what we're discussing about but anyway yeah uh the evil dead has a lot of uh especially the first two well you know the first the entire trilogy has very interesting uh filmic techniques uh there's that uh the famous, uh, you know, uh, run through the forest shots uh, perspective that was just uh, uh, like Raimi and his cameraman just uh, uh, lifting the camera up on a platform and just running through the woods and speeding up the footage. Uh, yeah, he brings a ton of uh, inventive techniques to uh, his productions. And one last movie for me. Um, and again, part of me wonders uh, to what degree it, you know, is it because I came of age or was a young kid during this time that this movie still holds like some magic um, behind it or, or is, is scary. Um, but it was the, or the very first movie um, made from an adapted um, Stephen King uh, book, Carrie, uh, the original one. If you, and it's almost like um, if you thought The Exorcist or The Omen, if you thought the, the evil forces were scary. How about a hyper-religious like mom, right? And not being able to, to um, love her, uh, her daughter who seemingly has these powers 
that mom attributes to being like evil, right? Along with mom's own kind of um, puritanical ideas around um, a, a young girl just going through menstruation or having her first menstrual period, right? Because of mom's hyper religiosity, uh, it makes mom and how mom treats this child as much of a villain as anything you might see in the Omen or the Exorcist. There's something scary about the other end of the spectrum. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was the first Stephen King adaptation, uh, interestingly enough. Yeah, uh, with uh, Brian De Palma and uh, Sissy Spacek. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. One of the another 70s horror movie that absolutely holds up. And uh, I'll, I'll add in uh, I'll add in a few just for uh, viewers to have kids or our, our kids themselves, because we've been talking about really like uh, mostly uh, hard R adult uh, adult works. But I'll, I'll add in a few that I really liked uh, the last few years. Uh, Paranorman. Uh, it's a like of movie, a stop motion. Uh, very. Very, it's lighthearted, but there are some good scares in it, uh, especially for kids. Um, and a Monster House from uh, from a few years ago, a CGI sort of uh, Scooby Doo sort of a kids, uh, a gang of kids sort of explore this weird, weird bizarre place uh, that has a lot of uh, folklore behind it. Uh, definitely, uh, I would definitely check those out. Um, yeah. But speaking in that vein, you mentioned Monster House. Never seen that movie, but there's a film that I haven't seen anywhere on any platform. Not, I'm not looking for it though, but it, it's out there that I saw in the eighties um, that kind of, to kind of speak to what Kenyatta mentioned earlier in terms of gore being associated with horror. This movie had absolutely zero gore. It might've even been a PG, not even PG movie, not, not PG-13, PG movie. Um, it was not a good movie by any stretch of the imagination, but what it did do extremely well was it showed that in horror movies, the setup is as important as anything else. Getting you ready, whether it's the music or whether it's shooting the scene, the angles, all that stuff means as much to horror as you know somebody wielding a knife. Um, and I've only seen it one time, it was back in the 80s, and I was a teenager then, it was called House. And House had a, an actor, William Cott, who was also in Carrie, who played Carrie's prom date. And also he was later in a movie, a television show called um, The Greatest American Hero. But he was, he was in a house and I'd love to see it again because I remember back you know, in the, the 80s when I was a teen that, wow, not scary at all, but they did set it up really well. They, they, they got you to the point where you're just kind of on the edge of your seat getting ready for the, the, the thing to pop out. They never did. So it toyed with your, your, your expectations and actually toyed with your, your, your anticipation of what was going to happen. And for me, that was you know, very telling in that how you could create a movie that pushed all the right buttons without the payoff. And in some sense, that could be even scarier because you, know, you know maybe this time there'll be a payoff. Maybe next time there'll be a payoff, but there, there never was. It was a bad movie, but it did show how to construct a, a suspenseful, a scary kind of scene. Was it 1980? When was it? 1985? Yes, yes. Um, Mid-80s, 85 or so, I would imagine was the year. Just kind of popped into my my head when, he was, when we were talking about films. Uh, I didn't go back and, and research it, but 
William Cott was the lead actor in that. Okay, and Roger Cobb. Okay. Right, right, right. Okay, okay. No, I haven't seen that one, but noted. Not, not saying it's great by any stretch of the imagination, but <laughs> and what it illustrated is how to kind of set up a sus suspenseful scene. We did it okay. really well. That that aspect of it. Awesome, awesome. Another one to watch on my list. Okay, thanks, Mark. And I will say that you know because he wasn't mentioned at all in this. Like Jason's really, really mad that that he, none of the final <laughs> movies were, were featured. Me to not, uh, I guess. Yeah, right. Those, uh, yeah, those those eighty slasher movies. Uh, yeah, I mean, you have your Friday the Thirteenth, um, but uh, yeah, uh, Sleepaway Camp. Um, but yeah, they're mostly in, they're mostly enjoyable uh, from you know now. But uh, yeah, you can't beat uh, the original Jason. Uh, uh, it's hard to cut. It's hard. It's hard act to follow. And I'll uh, I'll mention it uh, briefly. Maybe uh, you all have seen it. Uh, but uh, we've been talking about the serious uh, angle of uh, horror. But there's also horror comedies uh, that I, I really like. But uh, top amongst my list is Shaun of the Dead. Uh, Edgar Wright's uh, Edgar Wright's to me his best movie. Um, it's uh, with uh, his usual his usual acting trope with uh, Nick Frost and Simon Pegg. Uh, but they're regular London goers, but uh, then a zombie attack happens and they, uh, they find inventive ways to put in scares and they put inventive ways to put in the comedy of the situation. Uh, it, it is also uh, just like in the same vein as uh, George A. Romero, George A. Romero uh, it has a little bit of commentary there and how we go about our modern contemporary lives. So definitely, of course, are recommended. Yeah, love that film. Oh, good. Excellent. Yeah, love it's an excellent movie. Excellent movie. Yes, yes. In terms of George uh, Romero, um, his his uh, films, a lot of people consider consider them, you know, part one, two, three. It's not really part one, two, three. It's kind of like companion pieces to each other. But um, I know a lot of people love Dawn of the Dead, and Night of the Living Dead is pretty much the classic. But I want to talk about Day of the Dead. I don't know if anybody saw that one, but there was something about that film, all those films that he's made. I'm not saying it's the best, but I definitely like, I like the fact that, uh, has anybody saw Day of the yes, Dead? Yes, yes. Not the remake. Time, I have seen it, yes. Yeah, what, 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 I guess what stuck out to me is that the Evolve, this is the first time I've seen zombies evolve like the guys actually teaching zombies to be more kind of like to be human more human you know what i mean it's kind of like you're training an animal and just seeing that because that's something that hasn't been done before and them being stuck down underground and um how the, the military is it was, was scary <laughs> military down, you're stuck down. You had the scientists against the military. You had these two schools of thought. Um, you had the you had the uh, the scientists leaning more towards the scientific uh, school of thought on how to interpret what's going on in the world. You have the military. You know they have their school of thought on you know what's going on. So. Um, I, I definitely dated that. I would I would put up there. Right now, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm 
I might be getting my Romero confused, but that is this the one that contains, I think, um, a very creative scene and you talk about effects. Is this one where the woman walks up to the wall and all that sudden the hands pop out of the wall? You know I, there's a film I that, can't remember. I, right. There's an iconic scene and it, it's, just, it's a cinder block wall, I believe. She's walking up and, you know, the camera's pretty close on the wall. You should be able to see holes or see, you know, somewhere where the hands are going to pop up, but you can't see it. So you're not really expecting all these hands to push through the wall. It might even be a dream sequence in the movie, but I was just in awe. But how, how do they make this wall look like this? And if you're going to have more than one take, then how do you get it back to that original state too? I mean, it, it's amazing. Without any kind of CGI or, uh, or anything, they were able to, to create that shot. Um, but that was amazing. I believe that was a, deep, a, a, a dream sequence from, I think that's from Dawn of the Dead, I believe. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, All right. I mean, we keep saying the same thing over and over, comparing CGI with the old school method of, it just seems more realistic. I mean, I would love for people, the filmmakers to go in that route, back in that route. And because um, I'm wondering like how many special effects people are out there. Because, you know, if I was a special effects person, I would be dying to practice that craft because it seems like such a fun job. You know, recreating. I've, I've seen on Facebook this guy, um, and I enjoy, like, he posts a lot of his creations. And it's like, it's just amazing. It just seems like such a fun thing to do. So it's like, it's not like this medium isn't right for it. So I, I, I think I hope hopefully they will go back to that old school type of filmmaking and 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 CGI is more expensive any, anyway. I, I I would think so. Why you know, why why not go back to the old school? But just like you said, it may be more expensive, but it's also easier to implement. Uh, you know, you don't have to. You don't have to stage a scene with an actual um, with an actual puppet, or you don't have to spend time in makeup. Uh, you can just do that. You know, it's all done in post, as they say. Um, sometimes, yeah, it may be more expensive, but at the same time, uh, they don't want to spend all the time on sets getting all the timing right or getting all the effects to work perfectly in camera, because it is a time-consuming thing. Uh, sometimes you have to know exactly what you want on that given day. I have a question, like in terms of okay, we we've named quite a few good films um, that could be considered actually great films. What are like some of your guilty pleasures? Like you know, the film is not a great film, but there's something about it that's just it's like I like it anyway. Like what is what is that horror film that's your guilty pleasure? Good question. Uh... Well, I would actually say the uh, <laughs> the uh, Friday the Thirteenth movie. <laughs> there we go. You knew exactly what I was going to say. I would actually say, yeah, um, most of those '80s slasher movies—they uh, don't really do anything for me on, on, on a real emotional level. I'm not really engaged with the characters or their or their plight of being chased by this uh, the, the, this figure. But um, I do get—I mean, it's fun to just put on a, in a when you're at a party in the background. Uh, you know, you get the, the best kills you can uh, all watch together. Uh, but in between the kills, it's a lot of uh, just back and forth dialogue between characters that are just you do not care mo anything about. 
and bad dialogue at that. Usually yeah. bad dialogue, horrible acting, but there's just something about, you know, uh, seeing like, Jason just, I don't know, beat up and, and kill a bunch of teens that, that for me, when I was a young person was, was pretty satisfying, especially you talk about the, the interesting you know, kills and this is pretty sickening when you think about it, us kind of being excited by watching someone being killed. But our, the thing that sticks out most in my mind was when Jason killed someone who was in a sleeping bag and he beat the sleeping bag against a tree. It's like one of those types of deals. Then there's also well, like- part six. What's that? <laughs> you, know exactly part what, six. you know exactly what part it is. Wow. <laughs> Damn, man. So, yeah. Oh my God. You know, and then there's also like the absolutely absurd, if it wasn't absurd enough, like, I even think you, I think you posted something with this, this scene, um, Kenyatta on Facebook, like, Jason takes Manhattan. It's like, and it's, <laughs> and it's like, how ridiculous is that? This person who's wearing a, a mask and carrying a machete is walking through Times Square, and like, it's impossible to find a, a space or a spot in Manhattan where you can be alone with somebody else, let alone kill them and gonna get away with it and walk around. But it was just so absurd that you just have to watch it and marvel at how ridiculous it is. So that's a guilty pleasure. Any of the Friday the Thirteenth movies. Well, there's Jason takes my hands, and there's Jason goes to space, which is just a whole nother. <laughs> it's Jason a whole X. nother. Just yeah. wow. It's just, yeah, Jason yeah, X. Jason yeah. X. Ma- <laughs> yeah, matter of fact, Friday Thirteenth was like one of the first horror movies that scared the living hell out of me. Mm-hmm. It came out in 1980. Am I correct? Or 1979? 19. Yeah, the first one is 1980. Yeah. 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 So that I mean, I'm I'm hiding behind. Like we saw it on uh, cable television, Starcase, whatever. It was. I was hiding behind people, hiding behind my couch. <laughs> I was having dreams about it. So that's like my very first, very first horror film that's get the living hell out of me. And uh, so far, guilty pleasure for me, I would say I would name two of them. I kind of um, talked about a little bit, but Friday Thirteen Part Six and um, Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three. Now, now, now. These the outlandish, and it's just something about it. It was just, and they knew it's like the, know what it is? Like sometimes I think when the filmmaker, when they love what they're doing, and um, and, and you could you could see it out on the screen, it makes it fun for the audience. Kind of like, a, you know, you think about Quentin Tarantino, you could see his love. Uh, what's the other one? The uh, Ed Wood. He's not a very good filmmaker, but because his love for the, the, the you know, the craft, it, you know, it shows on the screen and it does, you know, it just has that charm to it. And that kind of, these two movies I just mentioned, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, and I mean, you even have quotables, <laughs> you know, this is prime time, bitch, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because like after everybody, because this came out when I was in high school and, um, and when a bunch of us, everybody left school on Friday, we we saw between Friday, Saturday, Sunday. By the time school came back, we were all talking about it. We were talking about our favorite scenes. We were talking about all the quotes and everything. I mean, you had Lawrence Fishburne in it. And it was very, it was kind of creative too. Um, you got a little bit more of the um, origins, like kind of like some exposition on that. And then the same thing with part six of Friday 13th, it was just, about time, I mean, come on. I mean, after six films, after five films, 
It was like, where do you go from here? Because part five, he wasn't even in it at all. Right. So it's like they, you know, they came back with this campy, this this campy. Uh, it got really campy after part one, two, three, and four. Okay. So um, and so did Nightmare on Elm Street. So I guess like some of these classic films like Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday Thirteenth. After so many sequels, I guess to keep the to keep their freshness there, they get kind of campy. And campiness has some fun to it. Kind of like Evil Dead 2, it was very campy. So um, I think there's some fun in the campiness of it. Well, I, I think as far as Friday the 13th, the reason why there was a shift in terms of the campiness was in direct response to the presence of a Freddy who had kind of taken the horror genre to um, a different level in terms of uh, just having the one-liners, the, the quips, the, the the clever puns, you know, those kind of things. And I think that, you know, the folks who were making Friday the 13th might have thought of Jason as being, of course, too serious. So they had to figure out ways to, to in part six, have the sleeping bag, you know, kill and things of that nature, just to make it um, a little lighter or at least uh, have funny moments. And I just think, thinking about that and the way that uh, Freddie... Nightmare on Elm Street impacted, um, in my opinion, Friday the 13th and how they, they went going forward. I thought a movie we mentioned earlier, Alien, was impacted by a movie in a totally different genre, like, like the, the Commando uh, movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger being an action film. So much so that when the second movie came out, which is then helmed by um, James Cameron, Aliens, it was less horror, more action oriented. And just think about the ways in which, you know, the, the, the times or the movies that precede, or certain movies that, that follow a, a classic movie shape the future sequels. This thing is very interesting. And I think what you're mentioning is, is, is Jason being affected by Freddy. And they later, of course, were in their own movie together. God, Predators, if you think about Predator, it, it, it came out around that time. So it's like, you got aliens become more action oriented and then that birth Predator. So Predator and aliens, I mean, oh, I'm, I mean, I love Predator and aliens, that has to be in my top 10, man. Really love aliens. And um, yeah, it's, it's kind of like, it's, it's funny how one film can impact another in the direction that they go, and and, uh, and another and another film. Hold on, and there's a, another film that started off kind of it took it so serious, but it got campy after a while. Is the Child's Play films, because Part One came out. You know, it was it was interesting. That was another Tom Holland film, by the way. And by the time it got to Part Three, Four, Five, I mean, it got really campy. <laughs> You know, but is is aliens? Did it shift genres? Did it go from like a horror movie into what is, I would say, more action than 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 horror? I mean, I think it changed because I remember, you know, um, eighty six. I think the aliens came out right like seven years after the original. I think it was eighty six, and I, I I saw aliens and I enjoyed it. But I said, but I was again trying to drink some milk and here's lemonade. I, I thought that it was going to be in the same vein, but it, it totally kind of shifted. It was a faster paced uh, movie, a lot more kills. It, so it seemed um, a lot more gunplay or whatever. So yeah, I enjoyed it. I just thought it was a different genre. I don't think it remained in the horror genre. 
And remember, remember when it came out too. Remember, Rambo came out around that time. So it's like, and then you had all the action uh, heroes like uh, Stallone. He did Cobra. He did. Do uh, you had on Schwarzenegger with the Terminator films right, and stuff right. like that? Yeah. That's so I think. Yeah, I'm sorry. I mentioned Commando, which was Rambo. I was thinking about the, the whole action thing influenced Alien. Sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead, Jeff. Oh, no, I was just going to agree with Mark. I think it is, Aliens is definitely a different genre. Uh, definitely action, war, uh, shoot them up, but more than just a horror. I mean, there, again, that it goes back to what I was saying. There are horror elements in it with uh, the, the, uh, some, of, some of the shots and some of the, uh, some of the scenes, but overall, it's much more propulsive than Alien. Definitely a completely different feel from, uh, from the original. And it's interesting how films can change genres within their own franchise. I would also say that's the case with uh, the Terminator, between uh, the first Terminator and T2, uh, where Terminator is really almost a uh, almost a slasher movie, uh, with uh, with Arnold being this impossibly strong, uh, impossible to kill uh, being, uh, stalking this this woman in L.A. And T2 is uh, is great, it's a, but it's a it is definitely much more of an action oriented uh, piece. All oh, James Cameron films, by the way. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, I do have a, a quick trivia that I don't know if anybody knew this, right? But Texas Chainsaw Massacre, do you know uh, Toby uh, Hooper was going after a PG 13 rating? Going after <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was expecting <laughs> Texas Chainsaw. I was like, when I heard that, I was like, what? <laughs> Imagine that being PG 13. <laughs> well, that was a, that was, wasn't a PG 13 back I mean, then. Excuse me, not PG 13, yeah. PG. Oh, oh, PG. Okay. PG. Okay. I meant to say okay. PG. PG. Well, PG back then, even, uh, you know, Jaws was PG. Right. We right. mentioned way back earlier. Right. I mean, Jaws was PG. I mean, well, I mean, holy crap. I mean, Quint getting it, it definitely it's like spewing out blood. Like uh, PG, you could really get away with stuff back then. But that's interesting that uh, Toby Hooper wanted to tone it down. Uh, no, something you don't I, really I guess the way it was. He was going after. I was like, I just, oh my god! Imagine a PG movie, Texas. What in what world? I don't know what he was thinking, right. but right. yeah. Well, you know what? What's the what's the time on this? That came out in '74, but did that come out before or after Last House on the Left? Which was, you know, that was an R-rated movie, I think, right? So. If if Last House on the Left could be R, like I guess maybe Chainsaw Massacre in his mind could be a, a PG movie, um, given that you know the, the rape basically uh, and the torment in Last House on the Left um, it was much more intense, I think, than than, than uh, Chainsaw Massacre, but the totally different, you know, um, of course, tool being used. Um, Last House on the Left was seventy two, so yeah, a couple years before. Yeah, yeah. Deborah, you've been quiet for a little bit. Uh, do you have anything? Can you want to uh, chime in a little bit on anything? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I was just enjoying listening to the conversation. Um, no, really. And you know, one of my favorites was um, was Chucky, the first one with our guy. Um, I just love watching it, and sometimes I'll just say, just for entertainment purposes, I'll turn it on. And then I'll watch the Friday 13 one because my son was a little boy at the time and we used to go to the movies and just she, oh God, he just loved the Friday 13. 
And then they had one part, two part, three part. And we went and saw all the different parts. So those are fun movies. And I think that's what movies are about. It's, you know, they're genres for everybody. You know, you don't have to be politically correct in all your films. You just want to be entertained. And I think the entertainment genres have changed over the years. But just to hear, you know, the conversations with what you all like was, for me, it was entertaining just to listen, you know, because you all, all are, are young enough to be my sons. So, you know, it's nice to know, you know, what, you know, what kind of films that, you know, that you enjoyed. And I'm surprised that as young as all of you are, that you have a, a you know, a interest in films that, that I personally and professionally love, so. Great conversation. And, uh, yeah, just to throw it out there, since we're talking about Friday the 13th, the whole set just came on uh, what they got, 4K. I, I think it's every film. I don't know if it's including the Freddy versus Jason or not, but um, yeah, so 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 just in case people like to, you know, buy, buy those collector box sets, it just came on recently on 4K. Oh, that's good to know. That's good to know, Kenyatta. Yeah. Part of the interest for me also in the 80s with the, the slasher movies was just all the hysteria around, oh my gosh, this is going to ruin you know, the fabric of society. And it's great to hear that Deborah was taking her son to see, <laughs> to see Jason. I'm hoping he's okay. Hoping uh, It sounds like he's doing all right. <laughs> Didn't mess him up. No, that's right. no he's, he's not a serial killer. He's a great guy. He's a great dad. <laughs> and he's living out here in Henderson. He's a professional businessman. And I'm, I'm proud of him. So, yeah, it, it was entertaining because I used to talk to my children when we saw those crazy films. And, you know, and, and, and I think for him, he, you know, he would, for him, it was entertaining because I was right there with him. And then when he got just a little bit older, we, I'll never forget, we moved to San Diego and my youngest daughter at the time, um, he used to scare her and go into the closet. He used to like the, the Freddy Cougar movies too. And he would go in the closet and I swear he sounded just like Freddy Cougar. And if I, <laughs> he would scare her. And, you know, so they, he had fun with those horror flicks, but it never put a dent on him or made him kind of crazy or off. And it was just a fun thing that, um, you know, a mother and son would do. And the last thing I want to mention about that is Alien, we, I'll never forget the first Alien. We were living in San Diego, Carlsbad, California. Oh, I'll never forget that. And Alien came out and Key and I, that was my son's name, Kiwan, we, would, we went to the theater, I'll never forget the Carlsbad Theater. And we were so impressed. We No, it wasn't the first one, I'm sorry. It was the one with um, the second one. That's right, it was the second one when you were introduced to the Hispanic character that did the the push-ups and and which one that was the second aliens one. that was aliens, aliens. That was aliens. Yeah, part two yes and that was that was the greatest film Kiwan and I we still talk about that that memory and that moment um, to this day so yeah it was they were slasher films and alien films that bonded us as mother and son so yeah yeah excellent excellent. <laughs> And in terms of foreign uh, films and horror, uh, I haven't seen it in a couple of years, but I first, it was different, man. It's called I Saw the Devil. So it was basically a serial killer. And he, um, uh, from what I remember, 
it was a detective, uh, one of one of his victims, uh, the victim's uh, relative was a detective. So the detective was uh, hunted down the serial killer, but he would never arrest him. He would basically stalk the serial killer and torture the serial killer. So <laughs> uh, I would recommend it. I saw the devil. And then was another... that Keanu Reeves in that, or because was that? No, no, no. no. It, was, it was it was Korean horror film. All oh, Korean. Made, made in South Korea with uh, Byung-Hun Lee. Yeah, that's definitely. Uh, but didn't Keanu Reeves do something similar? where he they were chasing I, I some american film did that maybe it wasn't keanu reeves but it was some uh film that showed you know sort of um an offbeat detective that started stalking the serial killers i gotta hmm. look that up well, hmm. maybe next week. sounds like a fascinating con <laughs> sounds like dexter <laughs> no 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 yeah. it was dexter no yeah. but i remember yeah. i remember that genre though that kenyatta had mentioned that was an international was a Korean film, correct? South Korea, yeah. right, mm -hmm. right, right. And a couple more foreign films um, I'm gonna throw out there is um, Train to Busan, and has a sequel called um, Peninsula. So even though I like Train to Busan better, I still like Peninsula. It kind of remind me of kind of like a Escape from New York meets meets uh, Dawn of the Dead type of film. So yeah, I recommend. And there's another one called Bedeviled. Now you gotta be careful with this one because you have the Korean film and then you have another film of the same name. It has nothing to do with each other. It's a completely different film. But yeah, I saw it. It's actually on Amazon Prime uh, this month. And and it's like, it's one of those things where kind of like we were talking about earlier, like for an hour of the film, the film is one way, and it's like this. Um, this, this, this. The, the main character goes to visit her family, and her family becomes abusive to her. They were um, kind of like a Cinderella, you know, abuse type of abuse. And then it ends, and then it's like you have this crescendo. So it's called Bedeviled, Korean film. I don't know if anybody has ever heard of Bedeviled. I haven't heard of that one, but I have seen. I saw the devil with. Uh, yeah, that that that's a good one to. It's a, it's a yeah, it's a definitely a, a harsh one. All right, do we? I'm not sure how do we. So, what's the best way to wrap? Um, maybe we could say like, um, just overall, well, how, like what what attracts us to horror obviously you know we've been talking for almost three hours about horror but uh what attracts us most uh about the, the genre uh what do we most want to get from it do we want to be scared or do we want to make it uh, make us think about it uh or is it just for entertainment like we've been talking about a little bit with the uh with the guilty pleasures so maybe we could uh, get a little bit of that and we can wrap okay uh, as wrapping i i would just like to say the uncertainty the discovery the you know the not being a predictable scene i think that's why i love serpent uh, supernatural because you never know what's going to happen you never know what's going to jump out at you you never know um how the characters are going to behave to a situation so i think it's the uncertainty and and the unpredictability if you're doing a good horror film absolutely yeah uh yeah especially supernatural uh because it's the fear of the unknown uh, i think that's a primal fear uh, and that's what I that's what I always look for whenever I go to or to buy a ticket or rent something that's a horror movie. It's uh, what is the primal fear that they're trying to convey here? And uh, fear of the unknown is a big one. 
Um, uh, <laughs> Fear of Death is, has been a big one throughout horror. Um, zombie movies, like sort of uh, fear of what modern society is doing to us. Uh, so yeah, uh, if you can find a way to convey, you know, it's the old adage of how horror movies portray the current biggest boogeyman or biggest fear that's going on in society, you know, um, and, uh, we, and, you know, uh, uh, Jordan Peele has been able to tap into that most recently, uh, uh, racial fears and uh, fears of uh, what uh, uh, what might happen or what is going on underneath the surface. So I think that is what I take away most from and what I enjoy most about horror movies. I think as, as human beings, you know, uh, for a long time in human history, we had to be afraid of the, the animal that was going to see us as prey or to be afraid of you know, any number of things that could be out in the elements. Um, and with shelter and with modern society, there's a little bit less of that. Of course, if you're dealing with police brutality or other types of you know, violence or, or, or threats, you know, it's not totally erased, but there's still a need or a desire for us to get our you know, adrenaline up and have those moments where we're, we're having to either fight or flee. And I think horror movies do that for us. It's a fight or flee kind of situation that you're put in in a controlled environment where you believe, I guess, that you'll leave the theater in one piece after watching this, this movie, right? So it allows you to have that, that kind of um, run of emotions um, doing it in a safe environment. And I think that that for me has always been the, the rush about the horror movies is that I get the drilling rush. I feel safe yet unsafe at the same time. And then the back of my mind, I'm wondering, could this thing that's happening on screen actually occur in real life? What's, what's the possibility of this thing happening? And, it, and the, the closer it is to being um, realistic, uh, the more that thing just kind of sits back there in the back of my head. That's why for me, as I mentioned before, early on, Jaws was a big, scary one for me. I still think about Jaws at the beach every single time I go. It's been with me for the last, you know, 40 plus years, 50 years almost, 45 years. Um, and that's what horror does. It puts something in the back of your head, makes you worry or wonder, am I safe? And that's uh, a rush for me. Yeah, and I kind of agree. I agree with you wholeheartedly because <clears throat> when I first, like I said, when I first saw Friday the 13th, it scared the hell out of me. And I kept wanting to go back and you know, watching horror, even though I would lose sleep, it would scare the shit out of me. I'm like, you know, then later on in life, it's like, why, why, why would somebody, you know, it is that adrenaline rush, it does something to you, uh, but you're doing it in a safe way because um, in real life, you know, real life stuff can happen to you and it creates this fear, but unlike real life, you know, you watch these films, you know, it's not real. You know, so you're doing it in a safe way. You, you, you're experiencing that adrenaline rush, and think about fear too. That fear, so a lot of times, stops people from doing things they want to do, or are supposed to do, or need to do, what have you. So, kind of like if you're afraid of heights, you kind of face your fear. So you you go to you know you might be on the 30th floor and you're looking down. You know what I'm saying? You're trying to like a uh, little bit by little bit, you're facing your fears to try to get rid of them. So it's kind of like that whole concept of um, fear and kind of not let it control you, so to speak. 
and I and I, I know that's what you know. Growing up, that's what I was trying to do. I was like, I kept trying to watch these films. I mean, I didn't have like like the rush and everything, but at the same time, I would say to myself, "It's just a movie. It's just a movie." Kind of train myself. It, it got to the point where you know, as you get older, you're not as fearful. Uh, some some grown people still scared of scary movies, by the way, but. Um, just, just kind of, you kind of psych yourself out. It's like um, not just horror films, but just fear in itself in life. You know, uh, training yourself to kind of face your fear no matter what, and, and overcome that fear to do what you have to do, do what you want to do, do what you need to do. So that you know, I just, I know it's probably a little bit deeper than you know um, what people think about films, but just the concept in and of itself. Um, you know, I just want to throw that out there that uh yeah, so that's that's I think that's one of the reasons why you know uh like horror films so absolutely okay before we cut Deb do you want to plug uh page to screen just to sure Absolutely. Go ahead. Go right yeah, ahead. Thanks. thanks. Page to screen is an opportunity for um, wannabe storytellers to actually hone in on their skills and learn. Wait a minute. Let me just. Sorry, my granddaughter's singing. Uh, <laughs> so it's an opportunity. It's like a virtual film school. So if you are interested in knowing from how to get your story out of your head to paper, to production, to monetization, to distribution, then page to screen, check us out. Uh, we have a private group. Um, we're only dealing with serious folks who are interested in the process. Um, and and um, just to sort of give you my uh, email address, or actually they can just go on Facebook and look for the page to screen um, Facebook uh, um, page and they can click onto it and they can sign up. Thank you. Awesome. We thank you again for giving us a listen throughout our long discussion of our favorite horror movies. We had so much fun and had a lot to say about the topic. Feel free to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and other platforms. You can support this podcast and the Screenwriters Group with a monthly donation by clicking on the support button on anchor.fm. You can find Kenyatta and I hosting the Boston Screenwriters Group on meetup.com. You can join us by RSVPing to a virtual peer-reviewing scripts meetup by using the link in the description. We wish you all the best in your writing and other life's pursuits. Take care and stay strong.